Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Hello, hello, everybody. I mean, it is always such an honor to get to stand here and share with you, not just for the sake of sharing, um, but I love this community so much, and it has been so cool to see what God's done over the years, and like Brian said, I got to watch it. It started as a little baby seed, and it grew into this great big dream, and, and now it's this great big dream come true, and um, it is just never lost on me the honor that it is to, to really get to serve the vision that God put in Brian and Heather's hearts, and um, I want to make sure you know this. Um, these people right there, those two people right there, they, every great thing that you've ever heard about them is very, very true. Um, they're the most consistent, integritous, honest, and encouraging people I've had the privilege of knowing. Um, and we are very, very blessed to call them our pastors. I'm not going to cry at the beginning. and wait till the end. Um, but let's do this. Let's go ahead and put our hands together and just honor Brian and Heather for the gift that they are to us. Love you guys very much. Well, let's do this. We're going to get started here in John chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. John chapter 12. Um, but before we start reading, I just want to know, has anyone in here ever done or said something you regret so deeply, you give almost anything to take it back? Just a quick show of hands. Anyone got some regrets in here? Yeah, I want you to keep your hands up. Don't be shy. It's all right. Look around. There's others. Group therapy. Welcome, everybody. I'm Jasmine. Um, here's the deal. We've all got regrets. We all got them big and small, every single one of us. And today we're going to talk about someone in the Bible whose regret was so deep that Jesus himself said it would have been better for him if he'd never been born. Now think about that. Think about all the times you've ever wanted to tell someone you're going to regret that. Right, you're gonna regret that outfit, which was like me all of junior high and high school, just so much regret. You're gonna regret that purchase, you're gonna regret that relationship, right? But can you imagine Jesus himself saying, You're gonna regret that decision so much that you're gonna wish that you were never born? Can you imagine? And this man in the Bible with his life altering regret, his name was Judas. And Judas started out as one of Jesus' closest 12 followers. We call them disciples. And he would go on to be someone who would betray Jesus over to the people that were going to hang him on a cross. That's what we know him for. That's what we know Judas for. But I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to rewind a little bit and make sure we're fully getting the full context of Judas and his story and everything that it has to offer us. Because although his story ended in heartbreak and treachery and so much pain, it didn't start out that way. See, we see Judas now as some sort of like super villain, you know, like he's the worst. Nobody likes Judas. Um, as Brian mentioned, my husband, Nat, and I, we are expecting we're going to have a little boy this summer. And like any other self-respecting female, I brought into our marriage an extensive list of baby names, just baby names out the wazoo. And despite the enormity of this list of names, can I tell you, we agreed on almost none of them. Um, everyone kind of reminded him of someone just in school who was like awful, or someone in college who was a jerk, or a terrible coworker, or that name just sounds really nerdy, so no. 
Um, but let me tell you what conversation was never had in the Miller household. At exactly zero points in time did I ever look at my husband and say, babe, what do you think about the name Judas? I've just been thinking about it. I don't hear it a lot. It's really unique. You know, I like that. Had my heart set on Lucifer before that, but really Judas just has like this ring to it, you know? Like that conversation never happened. Why? Because we think of Judas as like evil. He was the worst, right? But the disciples didn't see him that way. So he wasn't painted into, you know, the Last Supper with like devil horns. Like all the other disciples are sitting around the table listening to worship music. And Judas is in the back with his fingernails painted black, just blaring Marilyn Manson in his AirPods. <laughs> That's not who he was to the disciples. So we had the privilege of being able to look. Hindsight is 2020, right? Some of you were like, don't say that number. <laughs> but we have the privilege of knowing the full story. But the disciples did not. I want you to think about this. Jesus and the disciples had an international ministry that was thriving. It was doing well. It was growing, right? And, and like any other international organization, they had to have a budget because they had to sleep. They had to travel. They had to eat. And at some point in history, Jesus and all 12 disciples got together. And they were like, who's going to manage the money in this thing? Because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of plates to spend here. And they elected Judas. That was Judas's job. He was the treasury, right? He, he managed the money for the international ministry. Now, you know who you, you want to manage the money in an international organization? The guy who's good with money. And that was Judas. He was great with money. He was great with numbers. You know, he was really intelligent. He couldn't have been a villain. He was too book smart. His name might as well have been Eugene. Just, hi, I'm Judas. I manage the money here. I'm the new guy. Right? Judas was liked, and he was trusted, and he was a nice guy. They thought he was such a nice guy that even when he was out, literally in the act of selling Jesus out, the other disciples didn't know where he was. And the Bible said they thought he's probably out paying for food or giving money to the poor. Right? That Judas, he's such a good guy, such a nice guy. He's probably just giving to the poor right now. Such a good guy. See, when it came to Judas's betrayal, absolutely no one saw it coming. Not even Judas. There were no major red flags in his life or anything that pointed to him being the perpetrator of the most heinous act in history, except for one. There's just one small one, one baby one. And that's the baby monster of greed. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to start in John chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had just raised from the dead. Amazing. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, he looked at that and he said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, for he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Again, John, looking back. Jesus replied, he looked at Judas and he said, leave her alone. 
She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I want to ask you something. I want to talk about greed real quick, because when you think about someone who's greedy, I want to know, what do you picture in your mind? Who do you picture in your mind when you think about someone who's greedy? I got to ask a few people for the weeks leading up to this, and I got um, different answers like, oh, millionaires, you know, those millionaires are so greedy, or those Wall Street fat cats are so greedy. You know, Jerry Maguire, show me the money, man, just so much greed going on there. Certain local sports team nowhere who shall not be named. Just the messenger, guys. <laughs> but here's what I think is interesting. So often when we think about greedy people, we think about people who already have a lot of money and they just want more and more and more and more. And they're never satisfied. But the interesting thing is that Judas was like broke. Like <laughs> broke. Okay. <laughs> The disciples, they didn't make a lot of money. They weren't big ballers, okay? Most of them were fishermen, to start off with, who quit their jobs to study theology, okay? I went to Bible school. Let me tell you, there's not a lot of money in that field to be made. The disciples, (laughs) amen. The disciples did not make a lot of money. And yet Judas, he was greedy. And I say all that to say this. That greed has absolutely nothing to do with the amount of money you have. It's going to take us to point one here. You can write this down. Point one, the posture of greed. Now, I don't know if you grew up like me. I grew up in a family where people always said, like, oh, money is the root of all evil. You know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Or if someone was, like, kind of broke and then got a good job, they were going to change, right? Because money is the root of all evil. It's going to change them. That's what the Bible says. But that's not what the Bible says. Actually, what the Bible says in 1 Timothy, it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after it, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And what's that saying? It's saying that it's not about you having money. It's about money having you. That greed isn't even inherently about money. You can be greedy with all sorts of things. Money's just a tool. You can be greedy with time, energy, relationships, resources, control, status, recognition. Anybody ever had the boss that never shares the credit, always shares the blame? You're greedy for recognition, right? But greed isn't even inherently, it's not inherently about money. It's not inherently about any of those things. And it's not even about how much of those you have. Greed is about how much you focus on how much of those you have. And when we talk about the posture of something, we're talking about posture. How's it angled? What's it directed to? What is it focused and centered on? And, and greed is a reflection of your heart. So when we talk the posture of greed, it's what is your heart focused on? What is it centered around? What is it pointing to? Are you consumed and obsessed and just can't stop thinking about how much you have, how much stuff you have? And when we are consumed with the amount of energy, resources, time, oh, I don't have enough control over that, that's when we're participating in the act of greed. Because greed is not about how much money you have. It's, it's not a reflection of that. It's a reflection of your heart. Here's point number two, the pivotal moment of greed. Now, I can't imagine how sudden Judas's transformation must have seemed to the disciples, the other 11 guys he'd been doing life day in, day out with. Like one moment, they were like, oh, Judas, nice guy, Iscariot. You know, he's probably out feeding the poor right now. 
And the next, it's like he's the villain in everyone's story. Betraying Jesus over with a kiss to the people that were going to murder him. I must have thought, I don't know. He cha- it's like he changed overnight. But the truth is, Judas didn't change overnight. But his change did start with just a choice. Just one choice. Not one choice was the catalyst of the greatest regret he'd ever known. And I find that so sobering because we're all just one choice away from our greatest regret. Just one. But God is so kind and so merciful. And in his goodness, he always gives us a choice. We always get a choice. We're not destined to have our lives ruined by these. We get a choice. And Judas is no different. In this situation, he's got a choice, right? So Mary comes in. She throws all her money, everything she has at the feet of Jesus. Judas gets mad that he'll never be able to get his hands on any of that money. And then Jesus knows his heart. So he calls Judas out in front of all his friends, in front of everyone else at the dinner. I love the way Matthew puts this. In Matthew 26, it says, But Jesus, aware of what's happening in Judas's heart, replied, Why are you criticizing this woman for doing such a good thing to me? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. That's what's happening right now. Her deed is being remembered and discussed. And then the first word of the next verse is then. Then, in that instant. This is Judas's pivotal moment. He's got a decision to make, right? He's mad. He's greedy. He's jealous. And now he's probably embarrassed. And in the middle of that, he still gets a choice. Who am I going to be? What am I going to let my heart be centered around? What am I going to let my heart be focused on in this moment? He has a choice. It's his pivotal moment. And he makes it. And in his heart, Judas makes the decision, Jesus, I'm going to get mine one way or another. So we pick up in verse 14, then... Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And Judas was like, all right, I'll do it. I'm on it. When Nat and I first got married, like literally weeks, weeks into our marriage, we were pros, obviously. We were working on our budget to make sure everything that we thought would work, you know, when we were engaged was still lining up. And we got to the line item of tithes. And uh, Nat looks at me and he says, do you normally give tithes out of gross or out of the net of your paycheck? Which is like before taxes come out or after? After is called net. So I looked at him and I was like, oh, definitely net. And he looked at me and he was like, well, that's going to change. Those are the married people laughing, single people, just a heads up. So I look right back at him, and I said, oh, is it? And here's what I learned that day, that God loves my husband a whole bunch, just a whole bunch. And how I know that is because while I'm sitting there staring at my husband, ready to start a war two weeks into our marriage, God, I feel like God was like, don't say anything, Nat. I got this. You can hold my water that I turned into wine. Okay, I got this. Don't speak. I'm staring at my husband, and I feel like God looks at me, and he says, are you going to trust me to take care of you, or you want to trust you to provide for you? Which one is it? 
I'm sitting there, I'm looking at Nat, and I'm like, first of all, God, rude, because I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to my husband. (laughs) But God puts this choice in front of me, and it's my pivotal moment. I have a decision to make. What am I going to let my heart be centered around right now? And I don't know, maybe you're in here and, and you've wrestled with that same thing. Ties, is it pre-tax, post-tax? Does it even matter? And here's what I learned. When God talks about ties in the Bible, he often uses this phrase, first fruits. Just bring your first fruits into the storehouse. Bring your first fruits to me. And what he's saying is it, it's not just any 10%. It's the first 10%. You're trusting me with the first 10%. That is what our tithe is. So when you wait, or like I did, I waited to give 10% after taxes came out, then you're not tithing to God, you're tithing to the government. Because the government's getting your first fruits. God's getting a percentage of whatever it is you have left, right? And that was how I lived my adult life for many, many years. I was tithing to the government, frankly, because I didn't think I'd have enough left. And I didn't trust God to take care of me if I did what he asked me to do. And I was focused, my heart was centered and focused around how much do I have left? I don't know if I'm going to have enough. I don't know if I'm going to have enough left. I was greedy. I was participating in the act of greed. But God, like I said, he's so kind. He's so good. He's so gracious that he used my husband that he loves very, very much to lead me into taking a deeper step in faith than I'd ever have before. And here's the deal. I've never looked back and I've never wanted to because I've never been without. We've never been without food. We've never been without resources or energy or power. We've not even been without things that we want. God has blessed us tremendously. We all have these moments in our lives, these pivotal moments where we have to make a decision What is my heart going to be centered around? What am I going to allow my heart to focus on in this moment when we have a pivotal moment choice before us? Here's point three, the price of greed. We're going to read a little out of Matthew 27, verse 1. It says, very early in the morning, the leading priests and elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, they led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders, and he said, I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. And they looked at him, and they said, what do we care? That's your problem, Judas. So the Bible says he's filled with remorse, and then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out. And he hanged himself. Now the whole premise of this series, like Brian said, it's based off of this simple truth. That sin never wants to stay small. It just doesn't. And we actually read this verse a couple weeks ago. Such a good mental picture. I want us to look at it again. It's Genesis 4-7. God says, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and become its master. And I think it's such an interesting word picture. Why does he say sin is crouching? Like sin is crouching at the door. Why is that? It's because sin never wants to seem as big of a deal as it is. It always wants to seem like a smaller deal than what it is. Sin is just, I'm a small deal. You know, it's just one look. It's one picture. It's just one more drink. 
Just one slightly inappropriate conversation with someone who's not my spouse. It's just one. Come on, it's not a big deal. In Judas's case, it's, you know, I just fudge with the expense report just a little. I, I lied on my tax return slightly, okay, but just once. Is it a business expense? Is it personal? It's a gray area, you know, but I'm just going to do it one time, just once. And then suddenly Judas wakes up and he's, what have I done? What did I do? Because sin always starts small, but it is unwilling and unable to stay small. Check this out in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And then when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So when we talk about the price of greed, what is the price of greed? What is the price of any other sin that we are going to pay? See, it's always going to grow, and sin always, always, always left unchecked leads to destruction and death. And it's so tricky, it's so sneaky, because it never starts out that way. You know, this verse just said it just started as a desire, and then it was a temptation, and then, and then I was lulled a little bit, and then I started sinning, and then the sin kept growing, and then I couldn't control it, and, and then my relationships and my life and everything I'd built over all these years was destroyed. Because sin always starts small, but it is unwilling and unable to stay small. Now, I know when we talk about sin, it's always like, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. But can I give you some good news? God is good. And God is merciful. And God is kind. And God, the Bible says, God always gives us a way out of temptation. We can always prevent greed, sin, and all of its disastrous effects and consequences. It can be prevented because God is so good. He's that good. So here's point number four. It's the prevention of greed. Now I want you to write down one word. Write down the word remember. Remember. Now look, I'm about to read a chunky bunch of, of scripture, okay? It's real thick, this passage. So you're going to have to listen fast. But while you're listening... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention. This is God speaking to the Israelites in this passage. I want you to pay attention to how often God says, either remember or don't forget. Okay, here we go. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. He says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply and enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. And then these next few verses, God talks about the 40 years in depth. And he, he talks about how he led them and he taught them. And he was committed to not just taking them to it, but he was going to take them through and to the other side. And, and then he explains to them what the other side is like. And he tells them it's a good land. It's nothing like the wilderness and the desert that you've been traveling and circling for 40 years. It's going to be full of water and full of great food. And there will be an abundance of everything. And, and no one and nothing would ever be lacking. And then we pick up in verse 11. Watch this. He says, but that is the time to be careful. 
Be aware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in and your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and so dry. Then he reminds them, he gave you water from the rock and he fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He then did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. In verse 18, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. And when I read this passage, you know what I think Judas's greatest mistake was? I think he just forgot. I think he forgot who was walking beside him all these days. He forgot who had had his back, who chose him out of nothingness. He just, he just forgot. And I think if, if right before that moment where Judas made that decision in his heart that I'm going to get mine one way or another, I think if he could have had one last conversation with Jesus, that Jesus would have, would have looked at him and would have put his hand on Judas's shoulder and looked him in the eyes and said, Judas, what do you need more money for? You have me. Judas, have you, have you forgotten how I fed thousands and thousands of people with just five loaves and two fish? Judas, have you forgotten how I turned water into buckets and buckets and buckets of wine? Judas, have you forgotten how people came to me and they couldn't walk and they couldn't see and some of them were even dead? And I healed them and I gave them their sight back and I gave them their lives back. Judas, Judas, what do you need more money for? Judas, why are you so concerned with recognition? Don't you recognize that I see you? That I chose you? That out of all the thousands and millions of people that are walking this earth right now, I decided that I wanted to spend every day of these last few years with you. Judas, why are you so obsessed with status? Don't you know that I'm about to give my life for you because I think you're that important. And I know what you're about to do and I I know how ashamed you're going to feel, Judas, and I don't want that shame to take your life. Judas. Judas, would you let me be enough? And if you're in here and You know, you're in a season where you're like, I I actually have wrestled with, I've forgotten. You know, I've forgotten who's responsible for everything I have right now. I'm wrestling with that or I, I feel like I'm stuck and I don't know how to get out and I feel trapped. Can I give you your solution? Just remember. Just remember who actually woke you up this morning. 
remember who is keeping your heart beating right now. Like who's actually responsible for that? Think about how the earth is turning at exactly the right speed and at just the right angle to not wipe us all out. Remember who's responsible for that. Remember who when you were home and you were stuck and it had been months and you were lonely and you were depressed and you felt worthless. Remember who put you in a family that could see you and care for you and reach out to you and love on you and encourage you. Remember. Remember who went to a cross to pay for your sins that literally in the middle of your messiest moments, while you were still lying and cheating and sinning and and sealing and in the middle of all of that decided that your life was worth it, that it would be worth it for him to sacrifice his life just for the chance, just the chance to have a relationship with you so that you could be free. Just remember, remember. I'm telling you, friends, if we woke up every morning and the first thing we did before we even opened our eyes was say, God, I remember. I remember what you've done in my life. I remember how you've provided for me. I remember, God, I choose not to forget that the fact that I am here in this moment, right here, right now, is a miracle. If we started every single day like that, I'm telling you, it would change everything. It would change everything change your day, your week, your life. And the baby monster of greed would never stand a chance. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to ask God, what are you speaking to me right now? What does my response need to be to this message? Maybe you're here and you've been battling the baby monster of greed, or maybe you've just forgotten, you've you've lost focus, you know. Who's really responsible for making you successful? And God is speaking to you about areas of your life that you've just been consumed with stuff one way or another. You need to adjust your focus. Maybe you're here and greed is, it's it's no longer a baby monster. Maybe greed for you, it's full blown. Maybe you have major regrets and things you've said and done that you so deeply wish you could take back. And if that's you, I just want to remind you, your story is not over yet. It does not have to end now. That today everything can change, that he can make you brand new. He's still got so much purpose for your life. And the Bible says all you have to do is repent. Just change your mind, change your direction. And we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And we're not going to point you out. We're not going to make you come forward or embarrass you in any way. But if that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. If you want to be included in that prayer to repent, to say yes to Jesus, give him your life and start a relationship with him. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. I'm going to count to three. You can raise your hand. One, two, three. That's awesome. That's awesome. So proud of you. So great. So proud of you. Yeah, I see you. It's awesome. I want you to pray this in your heart. Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry I lived my life without you. Would you come live inside me? And would you change me? Would you make me brand new, Lord? 
God, I surrender my whole life to you. and I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, can we celebrate what God just did in the last? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at queencitypeople.com.